Hi there, welcome to episode 83 of the Practicology Podcast. This is the penultimate episode of our August 22 Summer Challenge. Matthew, I'm going to get you to show your memorization stuff here in a, in a moment or two, but before you do, I'd just like to give a quick summary of where we left off in the last episode. We concluded the praise section of Ephesians 1 by focusing on that wonderful blessing of our inheritance that we've received in Christ. And we said that in order for a Christian to lose his or her inheritance, God the Son would have to lose his inheritance, God the Father would have to lose control, and God the Holy Spirit would have to lose his spot or his seal. In other words, it is absolutely secure. Amen. And this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Good job there, Matthew. You've obviously brought us into the prayer section of the chapter now. Um, and uh, one of the beauties of memorizing in a newer translation is sometimes people don't notice if you get the odd word wrong, as my dad was pointing out to me the other night. But I noticed before uh, Paul makes his request for these believers in Ephesus, he first thanks God, presumably, for all of the blessings they've received in Christ that we've been going over the past few weeks. Right, and that is such a common feature of Paul's prayers and his counsel to us on how to pray. I'm thinking of Philippians 4, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And that's a good practical reminder to us. We have lots of things we want to ask God for, and he wants us to take our request to him. That's, that's biblical. But we also have lots of blessings for which we can be thankful, including our fellow saints. And God appreciates a thankful heart. What I like here in Ephesians 1 is that he's giving thanks for all these different saints in the church at Ephesus, of course, they've come from different backgrounds. They've, they've got their own struggles and failure, varying personalities, but they are saints in Christ. And Paul is thankful for all of them. Are you thankful for all the saints? One of the things that we try to do regularly at our breakfast table in our home is to go through the list of people in the local church where we fellowship, usually two saints or two families a day, and we pray for them out loud. But when we pray for them, we think of something for which we are thankful about in that brother or sister as well. We want to be glad to have each one of them with us. And our attitude towards our fellow saints is enhanced by prayer and thanksgiving for them. Yeah, I've, I've actually witnessed you guys doing this, Matthew, and I took it away as something to imitate. And we've tried to do it a little bit in our own family prayers here. And I noticed that <clears throat> similarly, like this isn't just a one-off moment for Paul. Uh, it's not just in, in, in Ephesians 1 that he does this, but if you look at Philippians 1 and Colossians 1, he does the same. Philippians 1, he says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you. And then Colossians 1, which starts very similarly to, to this prayer in Ephesians 1, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Good. And I thank God for you too, Mike, for mentioning those references. 
Now, remember, brothers and sisters, that Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, along with Philemon, they were all written during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. It's recorded at the end of the book of Acts. So uh, along with a prayer recorded in Ephesians 3 as well, we get four prison prayers of the Apostle Paul. They are absolutely remarkable. They are gold. Immense spiritual depth and theology and heartfelt emotion from the pen of Paul and, of course, from the Holy Spirit himself in these prayers. Mike, have you done a study of these prayers as a as a group before? I guess never at the same time, but um, I, I've studied, I think, all of them at one point or other, and uh, yeah, I've I, they've been very very meaningful to me. Sure, and uh, I've done a little bit lately because we're currently going through these prayers in our midweek Bible study at NSGH, praying praying with Paul. We're calling in, we're going through his prayers in these four prison epistles as well as some of Thessalonians, and. What I'm learning is I like to go through them again and spend more time at them. I've also benefited a little from a, from D.A. Carson's book, A Call to Spiritual Formation, Priorities from Paul and His Prayers. And that goes beyond just the four prison prayers too. But near the beginning, he asks this, where is our delight in praying? Where is our sense that we are meeting with the living God? When was the last time we came away from a period of intercession feeling that, like Jacob or Moses, we had prevailed with God? How much of our praying is largely formulaic, larded with cliches that remind us uncomfortably of the hypocrites Jesus excoriated? I think those are good questions that Carson asks us, Mike. Here's a big takeaway for me from these prayers of Paul, Mike. Paul's concern is for people's spiritual growth. Our title today is Two Things God Wants You to Know, and we'll develop this in a few minutes, but this prayer teaches me God wants you to know him, and he wants you to know how great his salvation is. He wants you to know him, and he wants you to know how great his salvation of you is. Yeah, we we know the priorities of someone by listening to them pray, and uh, when we hear Paul pray, as you're saying, we see that definitely the greatest thing he wants for himself and the greatest thing he wants for his friends is, is spiritual knowledge, uh, coming to know God better, coming to know Christ closer, being spiritually strengthened by God's power, growing in love more. Yeah, love, knowledge, strength, those, those things really stand out in these prayers and they stand out a lot more than, for example, than, than praying for a better job or for journeying mercies or for a fun day at the park. Right. So should we not pray for any of those things? I'm not saying that, nor am I trying to belittle praying for those things. Honestly, I mean, God is interested about every detail of our lives. But I am learning that my prayers should reflect greater spiritual priorities. I'm not always going to have fun at the park or a safe and easy road trip or a better job. But whatever befalls me, will I trust God? Will I get to know God and his faithfulness in the circumstances? And am I praying for the spiritual growth of myself and for my fellow believers? Well, I appreciate uh, what you're learning and processing through all this, Matthew. Uh, good observations on these prayers of Paul. I uh, just want to bring you back, though, to Ephesians 1 now specifically. You said that prayer shows two things God wants for us to know, uh, two things that Paul's praying for. But it sort of seems like there's a bunch of things here in this prayer. So how are you reducing it just down to two? All right. Well, good, good point. Thanks for reining me in. There's plenty here in Ephesians 1, 15 to 18. 
Two things Paul prays for, two things God wants us to know. The first one is in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul's spirit-inspired prayer reflects what God wants for us, and that is ultimately our knowledge of God. So the first thing God wants us to know isn't really a thing, it's a person, it's himself. He wants to reveal himself to us, and he wants us to know him. Which is a huge but beautiful and precious desire. And I love how this is spirit-initiated, it's spirit-dependent. I mean, Paul is making the request, but as you say, his, his prayer is spirit-led. And then the ultimate goal of the prayer, the knowledge of God, it requires this spirit of wisdom and revelation. Of course, maybe I'm getting ahead of you, Matthew. Uh, I'm sure there are some students of Scripture listening and wondering if you think this Spirit is the Holy Spirit or... Or something else. Yeah, it's, it's a tough decision. The original text of Scripture, remember, doesn't make that distinction between a capital S and a small s, so it's up to the publishers to make that decision when printing the Bible. Um, the argument against it being the Holy Spirit in verse 17 is that in verse 13, Paul just told us we were sealed with the Spirit upon believing the gospel. So if we already possess the Spirit, why pray for the Spirit to be given to us? Well, that's a fair point, yeah. On the other side of the debate, I would make four points perhaps. We cannot know God more intimately apart from the Holy Spirit's work within us. So it is fitting to pray for the Holy Spirit to provide this. Secondly, in Isaiah 11, the Lord Jesus is spoken of there as a, as a branch and a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and it says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and then it describes that Spirit of the Lord as a spirit of wisdom and understanding and a spirit of knowledge. So this is what the Spirit does. He reveals truth, and other New Testament passages support that too. So Isaiah 11 may be in Paul's mind as he writes this. Thirdly, if it is the Holy Spirit, it adds to the Trinitarian element that is prominent in Ephesians and that you pointed out last week here in this section. Now, our, our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we ask the Father to give, and it is the Spirit that is operating to give us this knowledge of God. Lastly, later in Ephesians, we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even though we already have him. So I'm not sure that this request uh, should be any harder to accept than the request that we are to be filled with the Spirit. So I'm getting the impression that you lean towards the Spirit here being the Holy Spirit. You're getting the right impression, <laughs> I, I do, and I'm, I'm guessing you do too, am I right? Yes, uh, let me remove all doubt. Yeah, I definitely do believe this is the Holy Spirit here. I mean, even just, just to add one more observation there, Matthew, it says, would give you the Spirit of wisdom. Well, that could be understood as you know, that we would have a spirit within us of wisdom. But then what do you do with the next bit? The spirit of wisdom and revelation. You know, it, uh, surely Paul is not praying that God would give us a small s spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. No, it has to be the Holy Spirit. Yeah, because the Holy Spirit and revelation work so closely mm -hmm. together. And we don't, we're not the source of revelation, right? So it has to be from him, yeah. Okay. So thanks for that. But uh, listeners, let's not get lost on that point. Let's, let's revisit actually what the Spirit is really doing here. He is teaching us the knowledge of God. And that's the big thing, beloved. That's what God wants for you and me. That's why he has sent his Son. It's why his Son has sent down the Spirit. God wants you to know him. That's the big thing. 
And it is a big thing. God is a big God. Uh, in Packer's book, J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, he says, what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? Mm, yeah, those words resonate so much with me. Uh, but help us, Matthew, how can we achieve this? How can we actually know God? Uh, obviously, as the verse says, the Spirit is at work within us. But is it just through studying the Spirit's words in Scripture, or, or what would you say? Well, it's not less than that. I would say it's not without studying the Spirit's words in Scripture, but it is more than that. So I'm, not, I'm not saying we know God apart from Scripture. We've just made the point that, that we aren't the source of revelation. So we don't know God apart from Scripture or differently than how he's revealed in Scripture. But knowing God involves an experiential knowledge. It is a relational thing. It is time with God. It is trusting God. It is seeing the hand of God in my life. Remember, Scripture speaks of the most intimate union between a man and a woman as they're knowing each other. They're totally given over to each other. There's trust and openness and closeness. Now, don't twist my thoughts into any reverent concept, but that is certainly a clue to the concept of knowing God, trust, openness, closeness. So I'm a bit of a slow learner in this, I confess, but I am learning to see life's events as opportunities to trust God more, to learn more of his faithfulness, as ways in which he's displaying his goodness to me. I know from the Bible, I mean, I've read that God is good and he's faithful and he's trustworthy, and I'm learning how true all of that really is. In other words, I'm getting to know God. What about your own experience, Mike? Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that. Um, I find, I mean, we do know God through scripture, but, um, but often it's when God in his providence leads us through difficult times, maybe barren times in our lives that, that we really find out actually we have a hunger and thirst for knowing God in the scripture. And, and all of a sudden the words that we used to glaze over, uh, they, they speak with real power in our lives. Uh, th this was definitely my experience in my life so far. Psalm 42, um, like a deer pants for flowing streams, so longs my soul for you, O God, right? The psalmist is in a difficult time and that really uh, provokes a desire within him to, to, to grow in his knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. and, and think of our conversion as well. I mean, you, that is obviously through the scriptures. We are born again through the living and abiding word of God. But there's a relational aspect there too. It's through the scriptures that we have come to place faith in Christ and it's our trust in Christ that has allowed us to know God. So it's not without the scriptures, but it's the spirit using our knowledge of the scriptures and the experience of our life to bring us into a deeper relational knowledge of God. Notice then, brothers and sisters, how the things we are saying align with the scripture. The knowledge of God isn't apart from the truth of scripture. I want to say that again because I don't want to give you the wrong idea, but it's applying the scriptures to life or taking our life experiences back to scripture. Again, J.I. Packer says, how can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? The rule for doing this, he says, is simple but demanding. It is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into a matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. So that's good. That's worth rewinding for and catching again. 
I mean, he's saying, think about what you learn about God from your own reading or from the teaching that you hear and take time to think about it, chew it over, meditate upon it. And the spirit can then bring that to your mind and the events of your life or that life event becomes an instrument of the spirit to reveal God to you. Several years ago, I was speaking with a brother about the book of Job and I, I didn't have a lot to say about it, to be honest. I mean, I'd read it multiple times, but I, I told him I wasn't getting much from Job. He said, you will, you will. What he meant is uh, you're going to go through some stuff in life. And the book of Job about a man learning God and learning to trust God through his sufferings, that book's going to become more meaningful to you. And several years later now, with a little bit more life experience, the, the book of Job is a more fruitful book to me. What's happened? Well, I've taken a little bit of life experience back to the scriptures and have seen the God of Job and in a small measure got to know him a little better. It involves mental knowledge, but it's also relational. Well, thanks for sharing that, Matthew. That's a, that's a great example, um, and it ties everything together. So we aren't going to know God apart from the Spirit's revelation of Him in the Scripture, but I do need the Spirit's help to cultivate that relationship with God. Right. So I pray that the glorious Father, or the Father of glory, would give you, Mike, would give you, our listeners, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Well, that's a beautiful title of God there, Matthew, the Father of glory. What's the significance of, of Paul calling God that there? Yeah, well, it seems sometimes that Paul addresses God in, in a way that relates to the request he is making. Uh, as Tim Keller says in his little devotional book in the Psalms, we should give theological reasons for what we ask, explaining how they fit in with God's character. If we make our petitions this way, we will deepen our understanding of God's ways. So I know, Mike, that's not maybe a full treatment to your question as to why God has given this title here, but uh, it's, a, it's a partial answer. I think we better move on to the second thing God wants us to know. Sure. And this is where you need to give our listeners some clarification, because uh, as I pointed out, Paul mentions a lot of things there, more than two in verses 18 and 19. He does, in a sense, but the way it is structured, this is all part two of the request, I would suggest. So the first part was verse 17, and now here's part two. He prays for their spiritual enlightenment so that they may know. And then he mentions three things, admittedly, but, but all of those three things, uh, they're like one request that stem from spiritual enlightenment. So he has prayed that we will know God, now, his second thing that he wants us to know, I think we could sum it up this way, the greatness of God's salvation for you. So here's the two things I'm saying Paul is praying for, in effect, two things God wants you to know. He wants you to know God, and he wants you to know how great your salvation is. Yeah, and that's, that's a great summary. And those two things, I think, go together, right? We come to know God by knowing something of his salvation too. So you can even put it into one perhaps. But yeah, that's that's very helpful. I like how God describes this salvation with both a future and a present aspect. For example, he starts with the hope of his calling and hope is always looking forward. Yeah, it must be forward looking. I mean, if we possessed it already, we don't need to hope for it. So here the point is God has called us to something glorious. That's our hope. Uh, adoption as sons, likeness to Christ, a glorified body in which we'll reign with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. That is our hope. And in the Bible, hope is not wishful thinking. It is our certainty about the future. Yeah, and then he mentions the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And uh, 
and I think this is another way of talking about the hope, and it goes along with you putting all these together, Matthew, and summing them up as our salvation. Um, again, it's forward-looking, and, and it's the riches, the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Uh, I guess that could be taken as God's inheritance that he gets from having us, but I think it's possible also to be similar to, to, um, to verse 14 where, where we were last episode. It's, it's the glorious inheritance that he has for the saints. Good, and either way, whether, it's, whether the focus is on God's inheritance in us or the inheritance that we possess, uh, either way, it's, it's a wonderful thing to meditate upon. Stop for a moment, listeners, and just think about what is being said here. God doesn't want you to be ignorant about how glorious your salvation is in the present and in the future. He's excited about it, and he knows it will be a help to you if you are excited about it. Salvation is more than a fire escape from hell. I mean, that, that's a wonderful thing. But God is giving you so much more in Christ. Yeah, and then the third aspect of our salvation that he mentions here is the greatness of his power toward us who believe. So uh, those first two things pointed us to the future aspect, Matthew, our hope and our inheritance. But the point is that this power is available to us right now. Absolutely. And while this prayer has focused more on knowledge, his chapter three prayer his chapter 3 prayer will speak more about power and being strengthened. But I know you're going to say more about this power next week, Mike, as Paul describes how massive this power available to us is. So I'm going to leave that for now. But just before we finish, I want to jump back again for a moment, just for a, a big picture lesson. This is quite a prayer, beloved. And I want to remind you, we're learning not only what God wants for us, but we should be learning how to pray. In that book by D.A. Carson that I mentioned earlier, he says, just as we allow God's words to reform our theology and our behavior, let us let it also reform our praying. Now, in a lot of cases, if some of us tried to pray like this in our local church prayer meeting, we probably couldn't because we know we'd either sound a little bit fake or else we'd have trouble making sense or else people around us wouldn't make any sense of it. Maybe if this was more a part of our regular private prayers for all of us, for other believers as well as for ourselves, then it would be a more natural expression of a spiritually educated, a spiritually mature heart. I'll tell you one of the things that I appreciated most from this passage, Mike. I mean, I expect we would all like to learn God better, know God better. How can I get there? Well, this passage teaches me one of the practical things I can do to get there is to pray. I can ask God to enable me by his spirit to know him better. I say I want to know God better. Well, do I, do I ask God to help me in that? How he brings that about will be up to him, but I can ask God to let me know him more closely, more intimately. One final reference from that book by Carson as he, he lists early on in the book several potential most urgent needs of the church. He concludes, he concludes the one thing we most urgently need in the West is a deeper knowledge of God. And prayer, he says, is one small yet vital part of that challenge. And we need to step up to that challenge with the Spirit's help. Yeah, prayer is a vital piece if we're ever to grow deeper in a knowledge of God. And and a deeper knowledge of God will show up in our prayers. I mean, I think that's why Paul is praying this way, because he does know God. It takes prayer to know God, and it takes knowing God to to grow in, in prayer. And... Uh, I don't want us to um, dodge too quickly from the possibility of us learning to pray a little bit more like this in our public prayers as well. Um, 
we do need to reform our prayers. And maybe sometimes we wonder, well, you know, it seems all I can think of to pray for others uh, publicly even and, and privately is, is Lord bless so-and-so and Lord bless so-and-so. And hey, uh, <laughs> I don't want us to uh, think that such prayers are are empty of meaning at all, but we all want to learn how to pray for others better. And I, I think we can learn from this prayer. Of course, it starts with having memorized it. If we've memorized this prayer, and then we meditate, as you've been saying, Matthew, we meditate on the prayer, and then we learn to turn Paul's prayer into prayer in our own words. And so we, we get up in the public meetings of our church and we pray that God would give us the working of his spirits, that we would know him better, and, and so that all of us would, would know the great hope that we have and, and we would uh, know how glorious our inheritance is and we know how great his power is. So I do believe that we can start learning to um, imitate Paul in his prayers, just like maybe we've tried to imitate you a little bit in your family as you've prayed in, in your family prayers. Thanks for that, Mike. And maybe you can give us all just a little bit of a refresher on where we are in the summer challenge and the prizes that await. Yeah, so this next week is verses 19 to 23, and this is the last uh, session of this. So um, press on, but yeah, verses 19 to 23, and in the next episode, we'll talk about a deadline for, you know, a cutoff date for when you have to let us know that you're finished. Um, because remember, we do have a t-shirt coming for all who are able to say that they, they finished the challenge. And um, so we'll have more info on that, but do be memorizing verses 19 to 23. And also just a quick reminder, we're Practicology Podcast is on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. So if you use those platforms and you would like little reminders of some of the things we've covered, and some of the verses we've talked about, then uh, maybe subscribe to one of those channels. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And may the Lord give you all help in your spiritual growth, your knowledge of him and your walk with him. Amen. Amen.